I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Art Attack with your hosts, Lizzie Dastin and myself, Justin Bua. Today, we have a very controversial subject, and we wanted to talk about the three worst artists. <laughs> Not ever, because that's... And by the way, this is completely subjective, but... And there's a rhyme and reason why we've chosen these three people. Let me just give a quick caveat. Yes, so, yes, the worst artists, three people whose practices we don't appreciate for one reason or another, which yep. we'll go into detail about. But what I want to say about this is that there, I'm sure, are way worse artists, but they haven't risen to a level of fame where we have that recognition. So each of these three artists has a substantial following, sells for a lot of money, and so we should give credit for that. And some people probably really love the aesthetic, resonate with the person. Absolutely. So can, can keep, I start? Yeah, please. Okay. So the first artist is Thomas Kincaid. Now, if you don't know Thomas Kincaid, you do know Thomas Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid is in one out of 20 homes in America. So says his website. Because hey, I read I've that too. I'm like, okay, cool. So my work that I haven't created, even one of, is in one of 20 homes in, in the USA. How do I they mean, know that? I, <laughs> I, my publisher, Stretcher, does his stuff. It sells on home on QVC like hotcakes still to this day. He's a factory. Um, but before we get into why he really spawned hotel art, because I think that... Let, I'm going to be very clear, okay? This is just very honest with you. I think Thomas Kincaid is a hell of a fucking painter. I think he's incredible. Thomas Kincaid came up drawing. He's left-handed, by the way, so I love him because of that alone. Uh, he is a real artist, if you look at his kids' drawings, he was very creative. He, when he was a, a young man, he traveled the world with James Gurney. And James Gurney is one of my heroes. He did Dinotopia. I have two of James Gurney's books. James Gurney is a master teacher slash artist. Great painter. Um, he painted all over the world. He's a freaking amazing landscape painter. If you look at his early works... It's like Hudson River School Plus. <laughs> you can't even believe it. You're like, are you kidding me? He's that good. And the guy was a background painter. Him and James Gurney were the only two background painters on Bakshi's, Ralph Bakshi's Fire and Ice. Bakshi did Cool World, where Barry Jackson did all the production design. So Bakshi early on did a lot of innovative stuff. He did Fire and Ice, and James Gurney and him did thousands of paintings alone. They did the entire movie. That's why he was very good. He was a real addict. He knew everything about art, everything about Rockwell. He worked really smartly. So the guy had everything. Now, this guy, I'm, and I'm, when I say this guy was a, he was a master. This guy was a real master painter, as opposed to the other two people we're going to talk about. But he was a real master. Then he gets into his thing. He becomes the master of light, the painter of light. Now that becomes the shtick. 
of it, right? So that the the master, beautiful painters that were once being produced by him are now becoming hyper-saturated, hyper-colorful, hyper, uh, like almost the Keebler's, the, the Keebler elves in a saturated, <laughs> you know, cosmic world on ayahuasca where they're just like kaleidoscopish <laughs> and right. It looks like he's painting with like a palette knife and cake frosting. Right. And that spawns a generation of people who want to be Thomas Kincaid, but you guys have to understand something. Nobody is Thomas Kincaid because Thomas Kincaid put in years of study and years of real hard work. And then I feel much like many artists in their, in their lives, they hit something which sticks with the consumer because he was a really great hustler. He knew how to hustle. He knew how to talk. It stuck with the consumer. That's what they liked. He be, Whether the religiosity was real or not, his Christian identity, where he was just basically a hand of God, that's fine. That's great. What a beautiful spiritual thing. But to me, I feel like perhaps that was part of the story the narrative that was able to be sold easier and more digestible, and then he became so popular and everyone started copying him. Yeah, it's almost like he's using his spirituality as some artists would use their dealer or their gallerist. It's a way that he is anointed for his fans, for people who could potentially become his buyers. So I would be okay with that if I thought that it was authentic. And I'm really glad that you are giving him credit for the actual process and application of his paint because you're right. It requires a certain level of mastery to produce what he did. And I want to interject. I didn't know. I knew that he painted with Gurney because I'm a Gurney kind of fan. Like, But I didn't know how obsessed he was with drawing and painting and studying other artists. And that's kind of like... I. I akin that to my life because that's how I am. I'm obsessed with other artists and their lives particularly. Sure. What is a life of an artist like? But then as I deep dove into his life, I went, Jesus Christ, this guy was an incredible painter. I mean, he could he could paint me off the side of a road if we were just doing, you know, some landscapes in his early in his like mid to late twenties. And then kind of like, you know, and then everything became just out of his head and and a process and kind of a, a gimmicky thing where it became his shtick. Right. And to give an example of his shtick, you mentioned that he's called the painter of light, and that is always trademarked. So when you see on his yeah. website, on any other source, Thomas Kincaid, comma, the painter of light, TM. And if that isn't just manifesting this concept of artist as brand, then yeah. I don't know what is. And so it seems like he isn't painting light because it's this authentic, autogenous thing that he has to do in order to get his message out to the world. He's doing it because he wants to be trademarked as a certain type of painter. And so for me, that is my biggest issue with Thomas Kincaid. I think that in work, we have the energies to either be a missionary or a mercenary, and either is totally fine, just be upfront with what it is that you're doing and who it is that you are. And I think that Kincaid is masquerading as a missionary when really he's a mercenary. And so that I don't mm. like. It's about the money. It's about the distribution of his work through as many channels as possible. And that's great. So you want to sell? Awesome. You want to be on a Glade cl a candle? Okay, but then don't say that you're painting this bygone era of spiritual identity and a world that we wish that we could... 
be a part of, just sort of, I don't know, be transparent with what it is that you're trying to accomplish. I'm okay with that, actually. I'm, I am okay with that because I feel like artists have to hustle too and artists are becoming, you know, artists have become, and he's probably helped that whole thing, entities, corporations, brands, identities, factories, right? If we look at art history, look at I sound like Woody Allen. You know, look, you know, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. You know, drinking too much coffee. Um, but I think that I'm not as irritated by that. I'm irritated by the baton that people decided to pick up on their own to become Thomas Kincaid and the taste buds of the sheepish general public, that Thomas B. Kincaid became the most popular artist. At the end of the day, he's a populist. He became the most popular artist in America. That's why, you know, when I mentioned Thomas Kincaid to my ex-wife's uh, brother, he, oh, my God, I have all of his work. And oh, I, no. Yeah, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was saying something terrible, too. He was like, and I, but I didn't get to the terrible stuff yet. I was like, yeah, like Thomas Kincaid. That guy's just, oh, yeah, I have all of his work. Oh, you do? That's cool. Well, I, yeah, what that, a visionary. No, yeah. he's LCD, lowest common denominator, is, in my and, opinion. And that's what I hate is that everybody goes, oh, that's great art. Dude. I don't even think Thomas Kincaid, if he were alive, would tell you that his later work was great art. He would say, if he was being on some truth serum, I believe, if he was on truth serum, he'd be like, oh, no, I was doing that to make oodles and oodles and buckets of cash. I had fun painting it. But at the end of the day, they print out his work. He touches it or someone else touches it for him. They have a, as we saw, he has a certificate of authenticity on the back. He's not signing anything. He's not alive today, and they're printing and making a ton of money off of him. Do you know what he did about the touch-ups? This I read that he would basically train gallery assistants to add a highlight to any of his works that were sold in a mall or any kind of secondary establishment, secondary store. And so if you were to buy a painting, then the assistant would fleck the painting with a little bit of a highlight and then it was an original work. But Thomas Kincaid wasn't actually doing it, which I'm fine with. And I actually think that's pretty cool because there is transparency in that passing of the baton because he's saying, well, I trained so-and-so and then this person knows exactly the highlight that I would produce. I think we need to talk about the fact that he is a shitty human being, or he oh. was. Oh, my God. So you mentioned that he struggled with alcoholism. Mm -hmm. That is not what I take umbrage to because that's something that I don't think that he really had control over. But he was possibly just combative. He maybe even assaulted women. There were allegations against mm. him within that regard. But what we do know for sure mm. is that he heckled in a Vegas show of, oh, who are the, the tiger people? Siegfried and Roy. Okay. And he kept on screaming out cod piece, cod piece from the audience. We also know that he peed on a statue of Winnie the Pooh. Oh, at I a do Disneyland know hotel. And so here he is masquerading yeah. as this this conduit for religiosity. He's painting light. What is light a symbolism of? It's a sim it symbolizes God. And so here he is saying that he is basically this channel through which God or spirituality flows. And then as an individual, he's peeing 
on other people's art because Winnie the Pooh is a product of somebody else's artistic creative design. And so I just don't like that. Just be a continuous person. I really think that the way we do one thing is the way we do all things. And so that really bothers me because I think his art or the perception of his art is just so at odds and in conflict with who he was as a person. But it will be interesting to see how he's historicized. And in 50 years, if he's just a mall painter, elevator art, or if he's really seen as painting these beautiful, charming, twee little landscapes. Yeah, he is, uh, well, we discussed enough about him. Yeah, Let's move moving on. on. <laughs> Let's move on to Mr. Brainwash. Why don't you talk about him? Because oh, you probably God, know Mr. Brainwash makes me so mad. <laughs> so I think this is an appropriate transition, even though he's the most contemporary of the artists that we're going to discuss, because I think that he is LCD, lowest common denominator. And Mr. Brainwash, of course, rose to prominence in Banksy's documentary, Exit Through the Gift Shop. And Brainwash started out as a photographer, as a videographer, and he would follow around the greats of the day, Shepard Fairey and Space Invader and Banksy, and record this otherwise completely invisible practice. And I think that moment, that movie, was this catapult for people to really deepen their level of inquiry and awareness and appreciation of street art and graffiti. So I think that was really important and lovely. But what I don't appreciate as much is the inauthenticity with which he has become an artist himself. Not just somebody who documents, but also now somebody who produces and to me, the problem with his art is that he just cannibalizes so many other people, Banksy, Warhol, other pop artists, and he doesn't do it in a thoughtful way. He does it in a way that just feels like he's appealing to the masses. And I've listened to many interviews with him, and everyone always just kind of talks about his persona and I've never heard him talk about the art. He says, well, life is beautiful. Cool, so, so now what? And why is this, this mantra, in what way is this mantra informing the work that you generate? So I just see him as a figure, as a performance. I heard once that he, that there was a suspicion that he was a Banksy performance piece. I would love that. I don't think it's true, but I think that would be amazing. <laughs> Isn't he some rich boy photographer from France who was kind of orchestrated to, or just got into the scene because of Shepard and Banksy? I mean, wasn't him being the star in the center point of Exit Through the Gift Shop is interesting, right? That was fascinating because you could see that that's why he was almost like a performer for Banksy and Shepard, but wasn't he just a, isn't he just kind of a proxy just to see and kind of rode with it? Because he's independently wealthy anyway. That's what I've heard. I mean, I don't know anything. All I know is that his work is trash, just absolute trash. <laughs> he's trash. So he is Invader's cousin, theoretically, and now he's really wealthy because he is a part of the, he's at the helm of this incredible production, but I don't actually think that he came to this world with a lot of financial access. I could be wrong, but I do think that there is an element of hustling in his early days 
But now, oh my God, one of the most irritating things to me is when contemporary urban artists will show up everywhere in paint-splattered clothing. And it's possible that Brainwash is actually splattering some paint and so the mm. residue gets on his clothes. But I suspect that he's doing it for fashion and he's doing it for effect. And I actually know a lot of people do that. There's this one street artist who's a really nice guy, but I also think kind of inauthentic. And he walks around drenched in polychromed paint, splattered paint, which is hilarious because his palette is monochrome. It's white and black. And so where are all these colors coming from? It's just for effect. Yeah. Everything about him is a fraud. I think that even through exit through the gift shop was a, you know, was a pseudo fake documentary mockumentary about the art scene and it was featured about him being a fraud but the whole point is like he is that person in real life and people are still buying into it once again showing much like the audience of Kincaid how sheepish people can be because they just follow anything that they're handed and that's not surprising because people drink Fanta and they eat McDonald's you know what I mean? They know it's not good for them. You know, they know it's made, you know, the, the, the smell of a French fry is manufactured in a chemical plant in New Jersey. But they eat it. You see what I'm saying? So we can metabolize all kinds of garbage. And that's essentially what we're doing. Someone told us, some gallery has said, that's important. That's important work. And you go, okay, I'll buy it. Yeah, he's the hottest thing. Okay, I'll buy it. Do you like it? Yeah, I guess so. Should I? You should. Great. I'll buy it. That is the average consumer, even at the highest level. That's what's dangerous. Mr. Brainwash allows us to think about the way that we consume on the highest level. And I think that's a really good point because with Brainwash and Kincaid both, we learn more about ourselves and our relationship with the art world and our relationship with tastemakers it says more about us than it says about the actual art because I think that Brainwash, even in his moniker, is exposing the mechanisms of the art world. He's saying overtly, hey, I am a product of brainwashing and I am therefore brainwashing yeah. you, yeah. and yet we just eat it up. Yeah, because we're, we, we collectively are part of the dum-dum, you know, class of and, and it's, you know you got to really call it out guys you if you really like brainwashing you have a piece of his you know angelina jolie brad pitt whoever you are i'm not gonna mention any names cast ah. uh, <laughs> but whoever you are just take it back just take it back throw it in the garbage or, it's worthless. no you don't have to go that don't take don't it be back. that crazy don't create just crazy. really ask yourself what about this do i like and yeah. if you actually like this mashup between Warhol and Banksy and a host of other artists. And if you just think that the design resonates with you because of your particular lens and set of experiences and morals, then great. But if you like it because you've been told to like it, then that is interesting feedback. Yeah. And what I really just despise about this practice is the complete lack of awareness of art history because that is what ruffles my feathers because my lens is as a historian and so the fact that there is no sense at least that brainwash shares about why he is digesting other people's content and how the ways in which his work is different that upsets me because it makes me feel like there is no rhyme or reason that he's doing something because he thinks and knows 
that something is going to sell. And he's a derivative of a derivative of a derivative of a derivative where it's just so saccharine and toxic. It's gross. Yeah, and you can be a derivative of a derivative and still do something thoughtful and put a new spin on it, but I just haven't seen that. And there are so many incredible contemporary artists who are really producing something innovative and yet Brainwash is the one who's selling. So I just don't love yeah. that. So, Mr. Brainwash. <laughs> okay, next is uh, Walter Mean. Keen. Keen, sorry. Walter Keen. Uh, obviously, we saw the movie Big Eyes uh, that uh, Tim Burton directed. I haven't seen it. Have you? Yeah, it was oh, great. Cool. Amy Adams played... I know what happened. Yeah. I just know about this through the art history side. I never saw the movie. Margaret, right? Is that where her name Margaret Keene. Margaret Keene. So I'll tell the quick synopsis. You tell the real story because I, 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 I <laughs> sure. I'll tell the Hollywood version story that I saw in the movies, uh, which I did see in an interview from her saying it was very pretty accurate. Uh, essentially, she was an artist. She got together with this guy that he was an artist, her husband, uh, slowly he started convincing her that he should put his name on her work because he was able to sell easier as a man, which was probably true, living in a misogynistic, you know, anti-feminine world. It's just this is this is just what he thought. The reality was he was an egomaniacal person and started to take credit for her characters which were these really you know these children uh with big eyes which came because that she started painting her child children with big eyes yeah so the the legend behind that from her mouth so this isn't something that art historians have just kind of taken from the work without without context but she said that when her first daughter was born she didn't have enough money to take this little girl to get her photograph done and so she wanted to make this painting because she couldn't afford the photography and with little kids their eyes are disproportionately large for their bodies but she overemphasized that and exaggerated it even more and then that becomes the visual staple of the rest of her oeuvre yeah so as he became more popular it just started to explode and get out of control and she used to sign it like M, you know, in front of the last name. And then eventually he convinced her not to. And, you know, he started to slowly manipulate her and control her. And he became a factory himself where she was basically working 16-hour days, seven days a week. So she became a slave to doing work that he was getting credit for. And then all of it boiled over and she decided to tell everybody. And that was the demise of of him. And so I think that, just to be clear, because we're going down the path of her story, we don't feel that she is the worst artist. We just feel that that was a horrible situation and the worst... Uh, the worst situation of any artist, really, that has been in. So the fact that... Um, we're saying the worst artist. I think we mean him because he didn't do it, which I think he's a symbol for a lot of people who really are never really doing any of their own work and signing their name on it. It's just like brainwash yeah. in an emotional way, the way that brainwash so He's will... the worst artist. We're, we're being very clear, yeah, not yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, he is. I actually really like the paintings that she produced that he ended up 
re-authoring as his own, I think they're haunting, they're stylized, Yeah, they're, they're very weird. They look like illustrations more like yeah, than fine art. Yeah, do you know art? that Japanese artist Nara? Mm-hmm. He does a lot of illustrations yep. and paintings. And so with Nara's figures, also the eyes are overemphasized. And I think that there Anita is something... Anita Kunz as well. So K-U-N-Z, Anita Kunz, an illustrator that I grew up with when I was at Art Center. Um, I think that she was definitely influenced by her work as well, by Big Eyes as well. Oh, so you think that Coons was influenced by yes. Keen? Yes. Okay, there were I two do. she's, so I didn't yeah, know which yeah, one yeah. happened first. I think first. she was influenced, and I think a lot of artists were since her. But I obviously, I think that her work is great. I'm. We're talking about Walter. Right? Yes. Okay. So to go back to the story that I know, I'm not sure if this was if this was uh, filmed in the movie, but they met at some kind of outdoor art fair. He was selling Parisian street scenes, and she was selling images that I assume are, are similar to the work that she's become known for. And the two of them got together. They're these two painters. They're both creative and interested in exploring the world in similar ways. But we found out later, she found out and then shared that he didn't even paint those Parisian street scenes, that he stole them or bought them and then peddled them as his own. So he was... Wow, I, didn't even, I don't even remember that. But oh, I yeah, he was now. a total con man. And wow. she completely subsumed her own creative identity within his. And I think this is a really important story to tell because this happened in the late 50s, early 60s, a very toxic time for women to assert themselves creatively. They were really typified with the space of the home. I mean, we've talked about this, but this is the time when Betty Friedan is writing a feminist tome, The Feminine Mystique, about women feeling trapped within the home and artists who are starting to articulate their own vision, like Lee Krasner. She changed her name from Lenore to Lee because she thought that her work would be easier to sell if it was under the name that felt gender neutral. And so when Walter Keene said to his wife that he would be more likely to sell the work, that wasn't wrong, as you mentioned, but it is wrong to claim the work of your art, of your wife's art as your own, and especially laden with these gender dynamics, it's really problematic because he is forcefully throwing her back in the home and he's the one who gets all the credit for it. So that was deeply problematic and she feels ashamed she said in more recent years that she allowed for that dynamic to happen but it I just hope that she's able to let go of that personal shame because this was something that was much more systemic than it was a a personal fault of her own and then once she decided that she had enough then she took him to court she sued him she had this like public sharks and jet style brawl where she said, let's both go somewhere and paint. And he didn't show up. And then when she sued him and she painted one of her signature works under an hour, he said that he couldn't because he had a sore shoulder. And so she ended up winning. That's great. That's (laughs) hilarious. Well, you know, look, this is, uh, once again, this is, this is, completely the way that a lot of artists work today. They don't really do their own work. Um, some of them admit it, you know, like Jeff Koons, who has a factory, who's the, obviously the art director and the director of these giant, of this giant warehouse and these, and these pain, paintings, much like a director is, is of a film, right? He's not doing everything, but he's directing the whole process. Other artists just kind of throw it to people's studios and say, 
you know, paint this for me. And they got a bunch of painters, you know, satellited all over the world. And I think this was a time, you know, when that was happening on a very weird, creepy level because it was, you know, it involved, it was so layered. It's like an onion. You unravel it and you get into the, you know, the gender politics and the just, it's hor you know, it was a horrible situation for her and she felt so trapped. And, you know, uh, and now, fantastic. And if you haven't seen the movie, uh, Lizzie, you need to see the movie because <laughs> it's a great movie. So just wrapping this up, these artists are the worst for these reasons. You know, once again, listen to the podcast. We're not saying that these, you know, Margaret, we obviously love Mrs. Keene, right? She's, she's incredible, uh, Miss Keene. She's incredible. Uh, at the same time, I think Kincaid is in incredible too. It's just what what he put out there in the universe. And Mr. Brainwash, there's nothing incredible about him whatsoever, except the <laughs> fact that he was in a movie that Shepard and Banksy did, which was incredible. He exactly. was in an incredible. He was in an incredible movie. He was a pretty good actor. Yeah, Shepard is incredible. Banksy is incredible. Yeah, and so absolutely. he gets to associate with with the incredible. He's around <laughs> incredible people. He's got maybe an incredible mustache, but everything else is trash. <laughs> I fully stand by the opinion or the designation that these three men are terrible artists. However, I never want to disempower anybody into thinking that their own taste isn't good, isn't okay. So please, as we started this episode, so shall we end it, that this is your own taste. And if you yep. like these people, yep. that's great. Just better identify what you like about them. That's all. We're just providing information, and then you do with this information and these opinions what you want. And leave us a comment, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. I don't think you can on Spotify, but just leave us a comment somewhere. Okay, guys, peace. Peace.